0: Hey, welcome back for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Grab your board. We're going to swim out
1: into the sea of ideas with the man who's always taken us new places. Matt High in the same Matt. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. For those of you that are listening live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks so much for joining us in the middle of your workday, the last Thursday of May. can't believe we're already into June. We're already past Memorial Day, already well into now uh, the unofficial summer period. So thanks for joining us. If you're joining us from the podcast, thanks so much for subscribing. Honored to have so many of you joining us. I think we are inching closer to that 100,000 listener milestone, which is just very humbling and exciting to see. Thanks so much for joining us there. And every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future, is always available at salespipelineradio.com. Each and every week, we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing. Today is no different. We've got Phil Harrell. He is uh, with Serious Decisions and manages their sales chief sales officer strategies. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. <laughs> so this is the uh, the first time we've gotten to talk since Serious Decisions Summit, which was just uh, as we... Were, as we uh, record this just a couple of weeks ago. And boy, just another great event, another great conference. I mean, you've been around uh, serious decisions for a while. What's your take on sort of where we're at now and what was your take on the pulse of what happened down in Austin a couple of weeks ago?
0: Well, it was a terrifically exciting event. I mean, we had uh, leaders from product marketing and sales who joined us. Uh, the theme was together, how to build a high performance revenue engine by aligning product marketing and sales. Obviously, the alignment theme is something that we've been talking about at Serious Decisions for 16, 17 years. So it's, but it's building on that theme. And I think the theme this year of of together really had special meeting because of the fact that we were acquired by Forrester. We were just thrilled with how the event turned out, got good feedback, and attendees really have made the event what it is today.
1: I mean, for years, you know, the Serious Decision Summit, for anyone listening that hasn't been there, I mean, it's just been a mainstay of the B2B marketing conference circuit and just really is pound for pound quantity and quality. One of the best conferences I believe you can attend at B2B just from a con from a content standpoint, from a conversation standpoint, uh, everyone you meet at the show is in the thick of this, you know, so, some things they may have figured out some things they may still be working on like the rest of us. And and I think it's interesting. You talk about the, that theme of together Strategically, it sounds like a great idea. Operationally, not always so easy. Talk about that difference a little bit when we think about, especially about sales and marketing and even customer success in a lifetime journey perspective. When you got sales and marketing working together, it's fine to say we have the same objectives by SKO, but then you have to figure out what does that look like on Tuesday? How do you bridge that gap?
0: Great question, Matt. I mean, clearly what's really important now uh, is getting that alignment is becoming even more important now today than it was probably 15 years ago. And the reason is because the buyers, we all know the their changes in buyer behaviors means that buyers are going through their buying journey and it requires a lot of tight coordination between sales and marketing and product to be able to meet that buyer in the way they want to be met. So I would argue that the need for alignment is more important today than it probably was 15, 16 years ago. And your question about how do you actually make this happen, the first step, and we talked about this at Summit, we had a session on strategy, and I presented with two colleagues of mine, one who heads up the product and one who heads up the marketing service, about how to actually uh, agree on a strategy upfront. And that means aligning on that shared destination of where revenue is actually going to come from and actually making sure that the entire function, the sales function, the marketing function, and the product functions are aligned to pursue that strategy that you agreed upon. So that's really one important step up front. And then from there, it requires getting that alignment within the function, making sure that Every step, every agreed destination has a plan. Every function has an entire plan down to the sub function on how they're actually going to make that happen. Uh, And so it means communicating, it means involving each of the other functions in those kinds of meetings that are required so that you have good communication about where we're heading and working together to pursue that uh, shared destination.
1: So very few companies I'm sure that you work with are starting completely from scratch. I mean, no matter what size they are, no matter what stage they are in sort of maturity and growth, when you create this togetherness, when you're creating that strategy, you're not starting from scratch. And so you really have to at least understand and appreciate the element of culture that goes into that. Talk about the impact. Impact of culture in driving successful togetherness and what are some of the impediments within the culture that can keep organizations from driving a truly cohesive sales and marketing strategy?
0: Well, cult- culture plays an incredibly important role and we actually had a session on that summit uh, about how to move to a customer-obsessed culture. So as I said before, we had one on strategy which is how to get marketing sales and product aligned on an agreed-upon strategy and we had a session on culture And culture really is is the focus should be on how do you put in place a customer-obsessed culture where everyone within the organization rallies around how to give that customer an amazing experience because we believe that in the future is the key differentiator. Actually, you could argue today it's the key differentiator between companies. Software is pretty easy to copy, but when you think about culture and how do you give an experience that customers remember and they think about And they say, that was an amazing buyer experience. The journey I went through with that sales team was amazing. And when I got onboarded, that was amazing. Being able to deliver on that consistently by an organization is very, very difficult. And so uh, culture and having a customer-obsessed culture really is a rallying point to help align product marketing and sales around what matters most, which is that that buyer. I would argue that culture and strategy together are two critical uh, areas that organizations need to work out to ensure that they're all rowing in the same direction. They're moving to make sure that customer has an incredible experience.
1: We're talking with Phil Harrell today. He is with Serious Decisions. We're doing our a little bit of a recap here on Serious Decisions Summit from earlier this month. And uh, Phil, his headline in LinkedIn is, Advisor to Chief Sales Officers, Angel Investor, Podcaster, Startup, and Nonprofit Board member, which is an awful lot of things, Phil. We're going to get to a few more of those Uh here in a little bit. We've got a pretty diverse audience that ranges across both B2B sales and marketing. But I would say the majority of our listeners probably are on the marketing side. And when it comes to togetherness, when it comes to alignment, when it comes to revenue responsibility, I think most marketers would accept that they are sometimes the last to come to that, right? The sales owns a number, but marketing hasn't always owned a revenue-centric number. Whether it's related to culture or whether it's related to scorecard, like how do you draw and get an organization, especially a marketing organization, to step to the table and start to own and measure and manage numbers that they don't
0: fully have control over? What's really important, first of all, that sales leaders that are listening to this, sales leaders, we need marketing more today than we've ever needed marketing. So to think that we can just do it on our own is is a fallacy. What I talked about in the beginning, that buyers' behaviors have changed. And buyers now buy in a much different way than they used to. They do a lot more research up front before they actually engage with sales. And that means we as sales leaders and salespeople are relying more on marketing to pick up that heavy lifting that we might have done 20, 30 years ago. So I would argue from the sales side that we need to realize that marketing is playing a more and more important role. Than ever in terms of helping us succeed in sales and I would say from a sales perspective in terms of marketing how does marketing really get that seat at the table well first of all we have something called the demand contribution framework the model that my team and I launched about a year ago and what it really is is allows sales leaders and marketing leaders to quantify the contribution that marketing will make not only marketing but marketing channels the telesales organization and the sales organization on the demand side so what is the contribution that marketing will make to the sales team and put it in outcome-based terms the impact based terms is what we call it from a metric standpoint which is what is the contribution from a revenue sourced and also from pipeline source those are two critical things that will help marketing establish the contribution that they're making the impact that they're making in revenue and it really aligns them with what sales cares about in the end of the day what sales ca- about is pipeline and revenue. The demand contribution framework is a great way to align marketing around the same goals that sales has and to establish the big contribution that marketing is having on helping drive results.
1: Well, I ask a question on the sales, sort of chief sales officer side. So I think a lot of organizations that have a chief sales officer, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that many of those folks are tasked with net new logos with acquisition. And yet we know that there are sometimes bad customers, right? There's an ideal customer profile, and there's customers that may help ring the bell up front, but may not necessarily be our ideal profile. It may be churn risk. It may have due damage to the brand and sort of retention, lifetime, value model overall. How do you manage that? I don't know if it's tensioned, or how do you manage that balance between needing to hit your net new number, but wanting to make sure you're signing customers that have the best, highest likelihood of lifetime value uh, overall?
0: One of the sessions I talked about that we had and I presented on was the sales structure, the trends that will enable digital sales transformation. And in one of the points that I made during that presentation was that the idea of customer advocacy, which is so important, right? The day when it started in sales 25 years ago, when you'd sell these enterprise licenses and it didn't matter whether the customer used that license or not, it could be shelfware, and you still company got its money and you still got your commission. Today, that matters more than ever is that the customer actually receives value from what you've sold them. And that puts a bigger emphasis on the sales's ability to make sure they're signing up the right kinds of customers and making sure that they not only close that deal, but the customer actually realizes the value they can born it very uh, quickly and easily, and that they start to see value because customers are buying smaller amounts up front. They're not willing to take those huge commitments like they used to, and it's more of a proven. Uh, so, in order to do that, you have to have very clear delineation. Yet, first of all, you have to have agreement on that customer obsessed culture. And that's one thing we talked about during that session, which is being customer obsessed means you're signing up the right kind of customers, that you're obsessed with their outcomes, obsessed by their successes. It's not good enough just to close a deal and then toss it over the fence. And then you have to have an emphasis on making sure that you have real clear roles and responsibilities for what happens after a customer is signed up. What is sales's role? What is customer success's role if you have that? Uh, What is the help manager's role if you have a separate role from the hunter-farmer model? That has to be very clearly defined. But those are some of the things that people should be thinking about, which is making sure they have a culture which focuses on customer obsession, making sure they have an organizational structure that incentivizes people to sign up the right kinds of deals, and that they are really focused on making customers get tremendous value at Well, uh, One more quick question before we have to take a quick break here.
1: You've got a video uh, that's on, uh, I think it's on the Serious Decisions website. It's also on your LinkedIn profile, uh, focused on top challenges for chief sales officers. What's one of those challenges that many chief off sales officers don't know that they have? That, that if they understood that many of their peers were actually challenged with that, might sort of give them something else to keep them up at night. But really is something that many people sort of should be worried about that maybe aren't as much
0: today. One of the big ones that I'm seeing is something we call digital sales transformation. And I know a lot of people are talking about that, but I don't think a lot of sales leaders know what that really means or how to actually go about uh, transforming their organizations. And really what it comes down to is you need to reorient your entire go-to-market model based on allowing your organization to sell the way buyers want to buy and that sounds very fundamental and it is it buyers have changed the way they go about buying has changed and that means your sales organization needs to change the way they actually engage with those buyers and be helpful during that journey instead of trying to control the process or facilitating that journey and that's a that's a critical uh, first step That. Don't realize that that is a foundational step in trying to sell better and close more customers. It's figuring out do I really understand how buyers want to buy? Do I understand what they want at every step of the journey? Have I reoriented everything I do, my sales process, my org structure, to make sure that I can meet the buyer the way they want to buy? And those people who can do that, sales leaders really are going to win. The other exciting thing about that digital sales transformation. If you do that, you can actually capitalize on the changes in buyer behaviors to make your sales organization more efficient, which I think is tremendously exciting. Think about it. Buyers are changing. You can actually meet them better by reorienting how you sell. And by doing, you can actually become more efficient in terms of how you reach out to those customers. To reach out, you can use digital sales motions that are a low touch and highly efficient. So I think that's one um, really, really powerful thing that's going on now that a lot of sales leaders don't understand that they need to really rethink their whole go-to-market model to match the way buyers want to buy. And I would say the second one that that I think that all the sales leaders don't understand is the idea of strategy. A lot of sales leaders think their problem is downstream in terms of, oh, my problem is in demand, or my problem is sales execution. What they don't understand is if they don't have complete alignment between product and marketing, on what the target market is in terms of what which markets are we pursuing, everything's gonna be inefficient because marketing a product's gonna be building a product for one target market, marketing is gonna be marketing to a different target market, and sales is gonna be selling to the target market they believe has the best opportunity for them to succeed. Which means you have inefficiency because you're not getting the the resources of product marketing and sales all focused on the same target market. So that's a huge opportunity for sales leaders to step back and make sure that foundationally before the year even starts, that they have agreement between product and product, what markets are they pursuing, which opportunities offer the best revenue potential for them.
1: Boy, that is, that is huge and elusive for many, many companies. So we got to take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be back with more with Phil Harrell. He's with Serious Decisions. We're going to be talking more about building a revenue engine for your organization, talking about how you do that uh, when you're very, very small for those companies that uh, uh, may be still at the seed ground and much, much more. We'll be right back on Sales Pipeline Radio.
0: How are successful B2B practitioners using ABM to drive more reliable revenue for their business? How are these modern marketers adopting new tactics, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals? Read the new research report from Flip My Funnel and Heinz Marketing on the 2018 state of account based marketing and discover what's changed, what stayed the same, and where ABM is heading in the future. Visit HeinzMarketing.com's resource section. That's H E I N Z Marketing.com and the resource tab for your free copy today. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, welcome back to Sales Platform Radio. Thanks again for joining us today. Our special guest from Serious Decisions, Phil Harrell. He is an advisor to chief sales officers. He was uh, presenting quite a bit of new research and insights at the recent Serious Decisions Summit down in Austin. I think it'll be in Austin the next couple of years. So uh, if you're looking for what I consider one of the better, uh, if not the best, B2B sales and marketing conference, pound for pound, quantity and quality in the in the conference circuit, you got to check us out next year. In May, May 2020 in Austin, Texas. Phil, we were talking a lot about sort of this need to, to create togetherness between sales and marketing teams. And that was a big theme down in, at the, the Serious Decisions mm-hmm. Summit. You spend an awful lot of time as well as an angel investor, so I want to talk a little bit about how do companies at the earliest stage of their existence start to do the right things to build a culture and a model of togetherness. How do you take some of these concepts, which in many cases are built for large organizations to help them kind of create consensus and velocity and togetherness? How do very early stage companies uh, sort of incorporate that as well?
0: I think in many cases, that it's really some of the same principles we talk about for larger companies. For example, uh, with larger companies, we talk about the need to really make sure that you're focused on the agreed upon target market and that marketing product and sales have alignment on which markets offer the best growth opportunities for the company to succeed. I would argue for smaller companies, it's probably even more important. And the reason is because those companies have fewer resources. Uh, When you're a bigger company, at least, you have more resources. So if you have a little bit of diffusion of resources, you probably can still be successful, even though, as we would argue at Sears Decisions, the fastest-growing companies have complete alignment on the target market. Uh, But I would say in, in smaller companies, because they have so few resources, it's critical that they pick their spots to win. And that means that they really hone in on what are our best growth opportunities? Do we have complete alignment? Are we pursuing the same target market and rolling direction. The most efficient revenue engines that we see uh, are ones that product, marketing, and sales have all sat down and agreed on. Here are the best places that we want to grow. Here are the percentages we're going to go after. Here's their buyer's journey. We really know that well, and we've mapped it out, and we all agree on that, and let's go execute together on that same target market, that same buyer persona, that same buyer's journey. So in startups, I think it's even more critical to make sure that uh, you do it. Now, when you're talking about very, very early stage, it's about trying to validate that there actually is a market Many of the same principles still still hold true. true.
1: Well, no matter what the size of the organization, I think that uh, oftentimes there is a need for action. And and sometimes there is a bias for, well, let's just pick up the phone and let's just start making things out. let's just start building pipeline. Some of this mapping the buying journey, some of this defining stages, some of this aligning. It just it sounds like a lot of work that doesn't generate action. I think it's easy for an early stage company to say we need to generate revenue momentum so we can get our next round easy for a bigger company to say we need to you know make the market look you know the market happy with us in the next earnings call how do you balance that and then i think this maybe like we keep going back to culture but like how do you justify the investment for those either the seed companies seed round companies you're advising as well as the enterprise organizations you're talking to with serious decisions how do you help them balance building that foundation with still hitting a number
0: again there's a big difference between a 2 million dollar company or a pre-revenue company that's looking for seed funding versus a company that's already got five, ten million 10 million in sales right so so it's a, when we're talking startups it's a it's a wide category I think when you're in a seed-funded, very early stage, maybe very little revenue or, no, or pre-revenue, it really comes down to, yeah, that bias, it should be toward action. What you're trying to do, and this comes back to what we talked about earlier, was just custom obsession, which is you want to make sure that you're talking to lots of companies and getting feedback on your product, even if it's negative, or your idea, because you want to get the market, make sure the market's giving you the feedback to dictate what you should be focused on, what your product should be, how it meets their needs, how much value they get from it. So, that, that is critical when you're early stage. So, yeah, there should be a bias toward action in a, in a very, very early stage. Even in a, a startup, there should be bias toward action. But but I think as you grow a company and you scale your revenue, even if you're in the five10 $10 million range, you still want to make sure that you have that alignment uh, between where you're trying to go. Uh, It it might be a quicker, less planning required. Hopefully, in a smaller company, it doesn't take as long to do the annual planning as as a large company. You're able to pivot much faster, so you know you can make changes to the plans or make changes to your strategies because you're a much smaller company. But but many of the same principles, which is let's make sure we agree on where we're going and how we're going to get there, and then uh, are still the same for uh, any size
1: working in. Just a couple more minutes here with Phil Harrell from Serious Decisions and uh, Phil, I know we were going to do this last week and the last minute had to to make a change. So I appreciate your flexibility with moving this this week and Ashlyn and Katie, both from your communications team are just total world class. So thank you all for making this possible. This has been a pleasure. I want to ask in your career and you've had a number of Sales executive positions, you continue to be a member of a number of boards, both for profit and non profit. In your career, who are some of the people that you might highlight that have been most influential in your growth? They can be professors, managers, authors, alive or dead, but who are some of the people that have really been impactful for you? That you might recommend other people check out as well,
0: um, from a book standpoint or just mentors that people would everybody.
1: Um, I mean, it, it could be a combination. I think you know, if
0: you want to give a shout out to people
1: that have been influential that maybe you know have not been published but were important to you, uh, that that would be fine. But also anyone that um, is an author or a published speaker or otherwise that people might be able to check out online
0: early in my career, I had a mentor, George Conradys, who was CEO of Akamai, who uh, gave me tremendous mentorship when I was uh, early in my career. He had come up through the ranks at IBM and had risen to uh, run all of sales at IBM and then came over and became the CEO of uh, Akamai. And he gave me tremendous insights and feedback. And we went through some really tough times at Akamai. though We had an incredible beginning and went from uh, zero to 170 million in, in three years. We uh, then hit the uh, dot-com bust and and our co-founder was killed in 911, And that was a, a real tough time then from that we built a real company up to a billion dollars, and he was certainly uh, very, very influential uh, for me. The other person I would give a shout out to is you know Mark Rober. She was the um, CRO of HubSpot, uh, third employee. Uh, he wrote a book, a book called Sales Acceleration Formula, which is uh, and he, he really knows a lot about next generation sales. Uh, so those would be two two folks that have come to mind as that have had an impact uh, on my. I appreciate that. Last quick question for you.
1: How exactly does a, a bachelor's in Slavic languages from Duke University, a captain of the baseball team, end up in sales? And I think it's always a funny question. You know, we talk to people in sales. So most, you know, especially those of us that are a little older, there have not been sales programs. You don't major in sales. Talk a little, can you give a real quick origin story of like how
0: this all came to be? I get that question a lot. It's only, um, I wish I could say, gee, I had it all figured out in college. Clearly, I didn't. Actually, when I graduated college, I um, i tried to combine. It was Russian language that I took, and I, um, I wanted to combine my baseball, uh, with Russian. And then I sent a, a letter to every major league baseball team and said, Hey, I know Russian, I'll come, uh, I'll come scout, uh, baseball players for you in Russia. This was in 1993. So it was uh, quite a long time ago. Now you all know how, how old I am. Uh, but they all sent back letters saying, we're not interested in recruiting baseball players from Russia right now. That's, uh, that's not part we see. So I tried to combine, uh, elements of, of, my background, uh, to get me a job, but then I, th- I felt it was, uh, g- good to get into a career where, uh, you know, Dealing with customers, and I really like solve problems. I really like engaging with people. Uh, I like listening and asking questions. And before, I'm really fortunate. I feel very fortunate that I fell into sales uh, and uh, was able to build a career out of it. And I've, I've done a lot of tech sales and all kinds of different sales. And I've learned a tremendous amount. So uh, a bit, uh, a bit lucky that I was able to get into sales uh, based on. What
1: Well, uh, we unfortunately are out of time. We're going to have to wrap up. Phil, thank you so much again for your time today. I appreciate you being able to reschedule, being generous with your time uh, and uh, and gracious with our, our schedule. But this has been great. I think a lot of great insights for folks. Where, I mean, at, uh, in addition to SeriousDecisions.com, you've got some great videos and content on your LinkedIn profile. Where else should people go check out uh, more about your uh, Chief Sales Officer strategies? And-
0: well, you want to go to Serious Decisions website. Advisory service that I run and lead is called the Chief Sales Officer Strategy Service right there on the website. As you mentioned, Matt, I have the LinkedIn videos that I post. I post a lot on LinkedIn. You can find me at Phil Harris. Harrell or at PJ Harrell on Twitter. Those are the best sources to go to to find out more information on, uh, on our Chief Sales Officer Strategies Advisory Service. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode. We will be back here next week uh, for another exciting episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. You have been listening to another exciting episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, brought to you by the good
0: folks at Mannheim's Marketing, right here in the Funnel Radio Network for at listeners like you.